today on Compassion Radio. She said, it seems I'm going crazy. I see these criminals taking over. I see the violence. They're just abusing poor Ukrainians. I'm so angry that I want to take the axe and just <laughs> kill them all, you know. And I said, you know what? Killing people is not normal. It's crazy. At that moment, the lady started crying, and I see the liberation of her soul. She started smiling. She became free and happy that she was okay. With us on Compassion Radio today is a friend we spent some very important time with back in 2017 as we walked the streets of Kiev, Ukraine. And Oles Dmitrenko is a friend who was at that time an important anchor of the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary. And he, in his administrative work, was mentoring many young Christian leaders. And he was one of the few that we learned stood in the gap for the entire Christian community in the face of the onslaught of Russian and sympathizer guns pointed at them when they were demanding their freedom. It's an incredible story, and we have that on our website. We won't go into depth too much about the Maidan experience, but Oles is back with us to talk about the current situation in Ukraine. Oles, welcome to Compassion Radio. Thank you very much. My privilege to be here with you. You shared an incredible story with us, and again, I'm going to recommend that our listeners go back and follow the links to see and listen to what we talked about five years ago now. But things have changed somewhat in your life. You've moved on to some other work, but things have not changed much in the tension and the anxiety that the country has felt in this unresolved conflict with Russia. It's not a real simple thing, because you have people in faith that you work with, that you are supporting on both sides of the border in Russia and in Ukraine. It was difficult to see how God's hand was going to move from day to day and what you needed to do to support the Christian community. So first of all, tell me what you're doing now and why you're doing it, and from there, how your Christian faith plays into all of this. Currently, I'm an expert in international communications and organization development. I consult businesses, helping them grow, uh, build international partnerships, um, mm. and so on. My major foundation is Christian, mm. evangelical, Protestant, and I emphasize on that because that uh, basically impacts all the areas of my life. I think this holistic approach makes the difference. And because you are identifying with an evangelical and a Protestant background in Ukraine, that's a big deal because it is predominantly a very old tradition there. The church that dominates in Ukraine is not a Reformed or modern church. It's a very ancient church. Can you tell me about the relationship that the evangelicals have had with the Mother Church of Ukraine over the past couple centuries? Yeah, it is important to understand the context. Ukraine is a very ancient nation country. It has existed in various uh, forms of state. It had different uh, names, but uh, in its essence, the nation of the Ukrainian people, it, it has been the same through the centuries. Mm. Back to your question, it's important to understand that the latest history of Ukraine is about the post-USSR context, and that mm -hmm. was the era of aggressive atheism. It yes. means that the majority of people were atheists, and including myself, in, at school, I had never heard about Jesus Christ, mm. 
Bible, God, the gospel, and so on. And so the majority of people in Ukraine who automatically assume they are religious or they are orthodox, if you speak to them for five minutes, you realize that in the reality they are atheists. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so that's a humor a little bit, but most of the people who claim to stick to the tradition have little understanding of <laughs> what they believe in and so on. Even walking through Ukraine today, the time that we spent in the center part of Kiev, the symbols of the religious faith of the Orthodox are still cultural anchors for the people. That's true. And when it came time to settle political differences between the Ukraine, which was leaning toward the West, and the Eastern orientation towards a more Russian empire, the Orthodox Church of Russia had pretty much committed themselves to a state religion. Putin and other post-Soviet leaders have leaned heavily on the gravitas of the church to give them legitimacy with the people in a very strange and new environment they weren't really used to, to working in. But the Ukrainians also saw in their symbols power, but they weren't seeing them as powers of subjugation, but of liberation. And so there was kind of a reformation that was happening within the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which led them to actually be willing to work with you as evangelicals to stand up to tyranny. And that was a major shift after 1,500 years that the Orthodox Church could see themselves as partners with other members of the Christian faith and acknowledge that Christ has expressed himself in so many different ways. And that led all the way to you and an Orthodox priest standing on a platform facing down the guns to address your people and pray together for the first time in a thousand years. That, to me, is a major hallmark of God doing a revival Mm -hmm. in his people and a revival in his church. And having stood on the spot where that happened, and knowing that you were one of the key people in that history of your country, someday someone's going to write this history, Oles, and tell the story of you standing on that platform with that Orthodox priest, changing everything. But now, of course, Ukraine has paid a severe price because Russia realized they didn't just lose Ukraine politically, they were losing the hearts and minds of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church as well. And now you all are united in a kind of a resistance that no one seems to understand how profoundly deep this is at the heart of the Ukrainian people. So go ahead and expand on that for me. I know I've explained too much from my Western perspective, but this is your story, not mine. Yeah, so we'll start with the story. Uh, Today, when I walk on Maidan, which is the main square of the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, sometimes tears Hmm. drop on my face. And I cannot explain what is going on. Mm. And there is nothing I can do to stop the tears. It happened suddenly when I crossed the place where the prayer tent was installed. Sometimes no tears. I'm okay. But sometimes, Mm. you know, I just cannot hold my tears. Nobody was killed in that place particularly. But something very special happened. Yes. And one lady came to me. She wanted to speak to to a priest. I said, I'm not a priest, but I am open to listen to you. She said, this is the first time in her entire life she is speaking to a Christian man. And she was, it was so deep to her that she was hesitating. I said, okay, I'm open. I'm here to listen to you. And so she said, it seems I'm going crazy. I said, what do you mean? She said, I see injustice. I see these criminals taking over, and I see the violence. 
I see poor people who are not guilty in anything, and they're just abusing poor Ukrainians. And, uh, you know, it, it looks I'm going mad. I'm going so angry that I want to take the axe and just <laughs> kill them all, you know. And when she said that, she was saying it so quietly that she was even afraid of her own words. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm sure it was the Lord who, who gave me that word at that moment. I said, it looks to me that killing people is not normal. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Abusing people is crazy. This is what is crazy and what is not normal. At that moment, the lady started crying. And I see the liberation mm. of her soul and her heart. And she just started smiling. She became free mm. in maybe in 10 seconds. Free and happy that she was okay. And, it, you know, it was very interesting that only after that, she was open to hear more about spiritual things. Yeah. Okay, tell me about, you know, your church or what you believe in. Right. She was ready. She was open to listen to the deep stuff. And this is only one of the many stories of lives transformed during this peaceful um, revolution. We call it the revolution of dignity. Mm. It's a good word for it. Yes, because civilians uh, like Christians, we could not be quiet mm. in a situation when the government was violating its power and yes. was abusing people, moreover, killing its own people. It was unthinkable. And so there was a choice in front of the church, be it Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, however you call it, it is the church and it has a choice to make. And the Ukrainian church, represented by all of the denominations, made its historical choice to be with people in times of trouble. Yes. The church is with the people because Jesus called us to be where pain is, where suffering is, and so on. And it doesn't matter if, if uh, you know, somebody is a pastor or formerly a church minister. Right. It doesn't matter. We are Christians, businessmen. Lawyers, and I'm telling you the real story. A friend of mine, he had an MBA university at the United States. He was with me during the Revolution of Dignity. And I was vice president for communication at the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary. And I was responsible for the salaries mm-hmm. of 50 people. I had to ensure the budget. You know, right. Everyone had the salary. But... I was spending nights with the protesters at the same time. So it was a unique time. You also mentioned that story about the priest. It was freezing, like minus 20 degrees, uh, snow, cold, impossible. And so every hour, the representatives of various denominations, mostly it was uh, Orthodox priests. Mm -hmm. There were also Greek Catholics, Roman Catholics, Protestants from time to time. He came to me and said... Always, could you help us? We are freezing, you know, there is nobody. Yeah. We need somebody to pray. You know, we pray. We had been praying for a few hours. It's just freezing, you know. Please support us. So I went on the stage and I read something from the scriptures, some psalm. It, in fact, it was one of the angry psalms, oh, yeah. you know. you know, Lord God, vindicate you know, us. Dis- 
<laughs> yeah, destroy these animals, you know, break their teeth mm. and, you know, <laughs> their necks, you know, this Jewish poetry of the <laughs> biblical, uh, in biblical terms. We're okay, it's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was very good context, you know, to read that particular proclamation, you know, God fighting for us uh, yes. in spiritual terms. And so at first he didn't like my style because it was obviously, obviously not the classical traditional orthodox but then he came to me with tears after the stage and he apologized hmm. i was shocked <laughs> apologize for what for his attitude hmm. towards the evangelicals and protestants because he never thought that we were really serious <laughs> believers <laughs> yeah. he thought only orthodox version of christianity was the ultimate truth and so he was so humbled somehow in his heart and he literally he cried he hugged me he he became my brother <laughs> that, that moment and that was a moment of amazing unity of uh, churches of all yes. kinds of denomination of the power of god's church by i want to emphasize by the church that made the right decisions yes. in times of trouble. And that's the answer to one of your questions. What's the difference between the Ukrainian church and the Russian church? The Russian church, we love them, our brothers, very much. But my opinion, my conclusion is that they did not pass the exam. There couldn't be a more important time to talk about the state of the church in Ukraine than right now. We'll be back with more from Olas Dmitrenko in just a moment. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. My opinion, my conclusion is that they did not pass the exam. Ah, interesting way of putting it. They also, I'm very strong on this. Because the same, it was the same choice. We had the criminal in power who started killing his own people. And the church stood with the people. The church said, no, you cannot do this. The same situation was happening in Russia with President Putin, who did a lot of terrorism and a lot of criminal stuff. And so the Russian church was quiet. And, of course, we could not understand. When the Russian, you know, terrorists invaded our territory, the eastern part of Ukraine, in 2014, and then when Crimea was annexed, taken away from Ukraine in a way, of course, in violation and all of that, 14,000 people, including children, 
women, civilians had been killed mm. in the eastern part of Ukraine. It's called Donbass. It's just a part of Ukraine and no reaction. But instead of Russian church leaders, we saw a few Russian intelligent people from theater or some poets, some writers, some rare individuals who had enough courage, some musicians mm -hmm. who had enough courage to say no. Yeah. This is wrong. This is cannot happen. Yeah, they paid a big price too. Yes, some of them did. Some of them had to leave the country. But overall, the trend is like this. And we should not be quiet. We should be talking about this. Yeah. We are called to speak the truth. Yeah, that's an important point there, Alyssa. I want to help our listeners understand this a little bit better. And to unpack that, I want to combine those two stories that you just told about the, the woman who came to you in the Maidan who was having a nervous breakdown. She felt something stirring in her soul she had no words for because it was, I believe, the Holy Spirit moving in her heart to acknowledge the truth, which is that God is with the downcast. He does not tolerate lies. He does not tolerate abuse and oppression. It is not from his heart. It's not his intention for mankind. And she knew that to be true, but her whole life had been filled with nothing but propaganda, which was the state is the one that defines morality. And that's all she'd heard. But she knew something was wrong with her because she could not agree with that. And she came to you. What I sensed from that story at the time you told it to me the first time was that an epiphany was happening that the truth would set her free. And she didn't know that yet. She needed you to receive her confession of these thoughts that were in her mind and in her heart so that you, by the Spirit of God, could acknowledge the truth coming out from her lips which would then liberate her and give her peace so that the next thing she could hear was Jesus. And we don't get it, I don't think, in the modern world, what Jesus is saying, the truth shall set you free. It's that story. Now, when you have people in the East that have been buying propaganda and have had no reason to turn away from it, even in the Russian church, there is a loss of truth there. You know, we're suffering the same things here in America. There's so much assault on truth right now that even the faithful are believing that they must follow a leader on earth in order to get their truth, rather than believing that God has truth and that that truth will set them free. They want to be free in other ways. That's happening all around our world. So I think it's a spiritual battle of our times. What I'm proud of Ukraine for doing is that they chose rightly. They knew that truth was there and that God was on the side of the oppressed. And you chose to stand with them, even at the cost of your lives. In other words, the church in Ukraine is and has been willing to die for the truth. They're not willing to take up arms and kill for it, but they're willing to suffer alongside those who suffer. Now, this is not about patriotism. It's not about nationalism. It is about kingdom and kingdom ethics. And that was the big story that we took away from our time with you back in 2017. And now the country's facing it again. We'll talk more later about the, the importance of the national map under the prayer tent, those things that we discovered while we were standing in the Maidan. But the idea of standing on territory that God has claimed is a big thing, and you have sensed that yourself. Take me on the journey now from 2017 to now. How is God expanding his kingdom in all these different realms, not just within the church buildings, but through people like you who are working in the professions of international communications and business management and coordinating and logistics and those kind of things. Tell me how it's evolved for you since that time. I think uh, it's quite boring 
<laughs> There's nothing boring about doing God's work in your field of expertise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like a, a professional language is <laughs> is quite boring because there is nothing extraordinary in doing what you are called to do in terms of being a good steward of the talent that God has given you or skills, developing skills. Uh, so... <laughs> I don't think I will tell anything new or surprise anybody, you know. And in terms of the values and truth, when I became Christian uh, 20 plus years ago, I was young and smart. Mm -hmm. Now I am just smart. I'm glad you're still smart. <laughs> but you are a fool for the gospel, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke, actually. <laughs> More than 20 plus years ago, when I just became a Christian, I received Jesus Christ by faith, mm -hmm. just trusting that what I will read in the Bible will be truth. Indeed. Now, 20 plus years later, I open the same Bible and <laughs> I know that what I had been reading all of these years is truth. Yes. Whatever I did in life, like working in business or with NGOs or with the Ukrainian Theological Evangelical Seminary, I also represent business coalition of the World Evangelical Alliance mm -hmm. and so forth. These are activities, but the foundation is faith and God's word and, mm -hmm. uh, and knowing God. Yeah. I think uh, one of my greatest aspirations today is the search for the power of the gospel. Mm. Uh, somehow, you know, because there is theology, there are truths from the point of view of theology mm -hmm. that is basically information. Yes. So my search now is for transformation, not information. Amen. And I don't have the answers. I sense that things are changing rapidly. We entered a new era of digital technology, mm -hmm. of information technology, digitalization. We have the new generation and we don't see spiritual leaders of the new high-tech generation. And that's my dream, so to speak, my prayer. I want to see the spiritual leaders of this new generation because we can try to reach out to the young generation, but it should be the prophets of, uh, you know, of their own generation that, uh, you know, I want to see that. Let me just confess that I had never even considered that recently. The notion that God has spiritual leaders for these new industries and technologies that are coming out. That's a marvelous insight, my friend. And I don't know that we have prayed enough that God would raise up not people that are in opposition to technology in the face of these changes, but would be the spiritual wisdom and conscience of our people as we flow into a new age of information technologies. That's a really, really important insight. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Brahm. It sounds more like a question <laughs> rather than an answer, right? So it's an open question for me. And mm. of course, search for the power of the gospel. I sense that somehow, mm. somewhere on the road, I have lost the power of the gospel. So I heard heard a lot of you know theological all kinds of opinions, but it's about the power and how to refresh, restore the power of the gospel, that it's not only, you know, the right words. That is still the open question to me in the new context that we have entered already, the, this digital era. So it's an open question. Uh, so as soon as you know the answer, just call me.
I will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll work on that this weekend. Your story earlier, standing on the the platform in the Maidan, is kind of one of these stories. It took God making these other priests very, very cold, where they were literally shivering in their slippers, to actually cross the threshold to say, someone's got to get up here because I'm ready to fall over from cold. God used that for you to literally bring the fire down. <laughs> and because you spoke with passion... The blood came alive, spiritually speaking, and I think in some ways it probably brought their blood back to life in their own bodies and gave them energy to be able to go that next three, four, six hours in the bitter cold of the Maidan to keep in their prayer vigil, because you had all promised and committed to stay there for as long as it took to see a breakthrough. And I don't think it was even a close-ended commitment. You were going to be there hour after hour if necessary. That was the breaking point, humanly speaking. You had no more energy left. And yet you said yes. You stepped to the podium. You prayed God's words with passion. And you invited God's passion to backfill you and to fill you up with what everyone needed at that moment. And you spoke to tens and hundreds of thousands of people right from the Word of God. There can't be a better preaching opportunity than that at the moment of crisis to speak God's word over a people. And you're still doing that. You talk about doing this now in different medias, being digitally sensitive, digitally uh, fluent. You are, in fact, influencing and talking to people that you have not met or might never see that are tens or hundreds or thousands of miles away from you because of the work you do with all of these companies. You are an influencer. In much of the way that we work in radio or television back in the United States, we never really know who all is listening to us at any given time. So take courage, my friend. I have to work in faith, too, that what I do is something that God's going to use for his purposes, even if I never see the results of it. But I do hope that God brings you many, many opportunities to meet people that have been deeply affected positively because of your witness. We'll be back with Oles Dimitrenko tomorrow as we continue this report from the front lines of faith in Ukraine. I hope you'll tune in then. Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.